Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. I'm Andy Schmidt, and I'm here with Tom Flaherty. Today, we are doing a testimony podcast. Tom has been nice enough to come on the podcast and share his testimony on how he became a Christian and, and then what his life has looked like after that. And so everybody knows the drill. Tom, you're going to share your story. I'm going to interrupt every once in a while if I have a question, and uh, we're going to hear about what God's done in your life and what he is doing in your life. So go ahead. All right. Well, thank you, Andy, so much for having me and giving me a chance to share. Um, I grew up Catholic, and we were religious in that we went to church every Sunday and we had prayers at meals. Um, but that was that was about it. Um, people that talked about Jesus during the week, we kind of called Jesus freaks. And, and so I kind of grew up with religion, but not, not Jesus. Uh, when I was in high school, I mean, our definition of a good mass was a short mass. The shorter it was, the better it was. And it was just kind of like, uh, a duty that you kind of got out of the way. And um, so I went to the UW and during my freshman year, um, some people talked to me about Jesus. Some people that were on my floor from the Baptist student union um, would talk to me about Jesus. And I eventually went to their Bible study because they were really nice. And I love to argue. I love to hear myself talk. And I, I felt like I won all of those arguments. Um, and, and then uh, one weekend I went to Whitewater. It was interesting. All of my friends went to Whitewater and I was the only one at, in Madison and I was very lonely. And so I had been looking forward to this weekend with my friends and uh, we were, we were all drinking and, um, sometime during the night, this wooden beam fell on my head and it was really bad. And I went out into the stairway well, and what hurt worse than the pain on my head was that nobody followed me out there. And I, I really realized these guys are not really my friends. They are, they just, they, their acquaintances and we partied together, but that's about as far as it went. And um, so I get back to school the next day, it's a Sunday and I'm alone in my, my dorm room and I'm literally contemplating the meaning of my life, contemplating my motives for going to Madison for majoring in business. Um, why did I do any of this? And there's a knock at the door and it's the, it's the, the guy that's been talking to me a lot and from the Bible study. And he says, can we talk? And, and I said, sure. And so we go down to his room and, and he takes me through the four spiritual laws and um, God loves you is number one. And sin has separated us from God is two. And Jesus died for our sins is three. And I was very familiar with those three. Um, growing up, but I'd never seen the fourth law. The fourth law was that Jesus stands at the door and knocks 
and that we need to make a response. We need to open our, our lives to him. And at the end of this, they had two circles and one had a big S in the middle that stood for self and all the dots were all messed up. And that stood for goals and purpose in your life. And there was a, there was a small cross on the outside of the circle. And the other one had the cross on the throne in the middle of the life and a small S next to it. And all the dots were lined up. And he, he said to me, which one of these two circles is your life? And if he had phrased it any other way, if he said, do you think you're a Christian? I would have said, yes. If he'd said, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I would have said, yes. Very full of myself. But he said, which is circle is your life? And there was no doubt in my mind that self was in the middle of my life and that it was a mess. I, I had literally had been contemplating what a mess it was. And so I pointed to that one and he said, which one do you want it to be? And it was it was a moment of truth for me because if I believe in God, if I believe in Jesus, he certainly deserves to have the center. And, uh, and so I pointed to that one and he said, the way, the way you get Jesus to the middle is ask him. And so he led me in a prayer. And, uh, that was the beginning of my journey. It was, uh, it was during finals week. Probably, I'm probably not the first person to get saved during finals week, but we went, I went right back to Milton after that and back to my old friends, back to my old lifestyle. I knew something was different, but my lifestyle was very different than Jesus. And so uh, went right back to the drinking and partying and, and, uh, tried everything I could to get off fourth floor celery. Fourth floor celery was all boys. I wanted a co-ed dorm and I tried to and ended up, no, no, ended up right back on fourth floor celery with these guys that were into Jesus right down the hall. And, uh, and so for the first few months of my sophomore year, I did both. I did, I do Bible study and I would go to the bars afterwards. And, uh, and I, I came home one weekend and uh, it was just an amazing weekend. I, I played a lot of tennis and I won the local tennis tournament and we had this family band that played at events and the family band I played, I was a trumpet player and that was amazing. And everybody, I got to be with my friends and family and it was just a great weekend. And uh, I came back Sunday afternoon and I'm sitting on my bed and I'm contemplating what a great weekend it is. And I get this stream of thoughts and here's the stream. You can have all of this or you can have God. But in the end, you will give an account to God. And this, this was, this what became just, very, very clear to me that I knew exactly what it meant. I knew that if I went all in for God, I knew that I would lose my family and my friends. I knew how we felt about Jesus freaks. We were very uncomfortable. And those were, those were people that were weird. And, and I knew that if I really, really followed Jesus, that it was going to be trouble. And, uh, 
But it was very clear to me that in a hundred years, it was not going to make a hill of beans different of what any of my family or friends thought of me. The only person that it would matter would be what God thought. And, and I just said to God, I said, I would rather please you. I would rather please you, whatever, whatever it costs me, I would rather please you. And um, I, I just feel like that was when I really repented. That's just, uh, you know, how does, how do people accept Christ? How do they accept it? I, I, it comes in stages. I don't think you can understand it all at once, but all I know is my life became very different from that time forward. I was all in, I stopped the bars and I was just God. And these guys were discipling me and I was memorizing verses and, uh, um, and exactly what I thought would happen with my family and friends happened. They all thought I was in a cult and I would witness to them about why they were going to help. Um, this, this is what you need to do. And, um, so that was my, my sophomore year. And, uh, it was during this year that the, my friends that had led me to the Lord, um, took me, I just did whatever they told me to do. I mean, they were, it, it was a discipleship group. And he said, we pray, we, we are going to have a prayer meeting once a week in your room. And I, I didn't realize it at the time, but the, re the reason they did that is so that I would always be at the prayer meeting. Huh. And so, yeah. And, you know, he, he showed me how to tithe. He, he told me that we now give to the poor. So he had me adopt a world vision kid. And I mean, I, I'm just like, whatever, whatever you tell me what it means to follow Jesus and I'll do it. I mean, I was all in, I was just, these guys said, it. Well, this is what we do this. And then this is what I did. And, and no questions asked. And, uh, and so, uh, so it's later in that year that they took me to Midvale Baptist church. And there was a guy there named Dave who was doing Sunday school and he did it on the Holy spirit and he did it on the baptism of the Holy spirit. And he said, I'm going to share an experience that I had. And he told, he gave a few scriptures and some friends prayed and he spoke in other tongues and, um, and, uh, and my, my leaders were so upset with him because speaking in tongues was one of the gifts. Everybody didn't get that. And the idea that you could get more of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is a person, they were mad. I was mad. You know, we've got as much as you can get of the Holy Spirit. And that was just boom, you know. And uh, so I go home that summer and uh, – and there's this guy, when, when I was home on, on the summers, I would go to Campus Life, which was a group that, uh, that I, I was exposed to in high school. And, I, and everybody knew them. They were the Jesus people. And Larry Schultz led it. He still leads it today. Just this vibrant Christian man. And, uh, and so one of the leaders of Campus Life, he gives me this book. He says, I don't want to argue with you but I just, I want you to read this book. And it was called Smith Wigglesworth, an apostle of faith. 
And I went home, Andy, and I read that book. I read the whole book in one night. And I cried all the way through that book. This is a plumber in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, learned, how, learned how to read, reading the Bible. He got saved through the Salvation Army. And uh, he heard um, in the early 1900s of some tongues that were being spoken in other parts of England. He had read about it in the Bible. So he went there and, um, and was, was not impressed. And, the, and he, he almost left without getting in. And the, the pastor's wife said, you know, you came all this way for this. You know, why don't you just let me pray for you? And so he gets this wild baptism of the Holy Spirit. He gets, he sees the cross, he sees the blood, and he starts speaking in tongues. And and he goes back and he starts a healing ministry that was stunning. In his ministry, he saw eight people raised from the dead and limbs grow out and blindness, cancer, just all all kinds of healing everywhere he went. He traveled all over the world. And uh, and I'm just weeping as I read story after story after story. And the reason why I'm weeping is because this is a different Christianity than mine. My Christianity was all about what I do. It was all about my Bible reading. It was all about me staying out of sin. It was all about... It was, it was hard work, and I was pretty angry at most Christians because I didn't feel like they were completely committed the way I was. And, and, but this, this Christianity, this was about what God was doing. This was a joyful mercy of God touching, people getting saved everywhere this guy went. He'd get on a train, and people would say, sir, you convict me. He just carried the presence of God, and he would – lead people to Christ. It's just stunning. And I'm just like, I get done with that book. And I said this to the Lord. I said, God, this, this seems more like the Bible than what I have. <laughs> and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anybody other than this Dave that, that, that spoke in tongues. And, but I'm like, I, this is what I believe now. I'm going to go with this. I don't have it, but I believe it. I believe this is what I need. This is what we, what, what, what I want to go for. And so it's probably about a month later that I was at a, a, a campus life. It was just a little guy's Bible study. It was, it was like five teenage guys and me. And Larry had invite us, invited us to his house separate. And he starts speaking and he says almost the same words Dave did. T Tonight, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you about this experience that I had. And it's he's using the same scriptures in Acts. And his experience is very similar to Dave's with the speaking in tongues. And my heart is just pounding. I God has set this up. It's the only time I had gone to this little small group Bible study. Um, and it just happens to be on this. And this is what I've been asking God for. And so he gets to the end of his talk. And he says, I would not share all this with you without giving you a chance to receive. And, and so uh, he, uh, he has us bow our heads. And whoever wants to receive can raise their hand. And 
apparently we all raised our hand, but I mean, I had my hand way, way up and, and he came to me first and, and uh, he led us in a prayer. And then, and then he said, now you just cooperate with the Holy spirit. And so he comes to me first, he puts his hands on my head and he's praying in tongues. And, uh, and I don't know how to do it. I, I know it involves the tongue. So I'm sticking my tongue out. And I'm trying to make noises because I know my tongue is supposed to be doing something, but I just, I can't make it happen. And so I'm just like, uh, uh, I mean, it was just painful. And he goes, so he goes down the line and all of these other kids, these teenage kids, they, this is the first time they've heard of it. They haven't been seeking it. They don't value it. And they're all start speaking in tongues. I mean, right away, boom, they've just got their, their prayer language. And I am just like, are you kidding me? These little snots, <laughs> they don't even know what this is. And this is what I want. This is, and so I, I talked to Larry afterwards. I said, I know that this is a gift and, and, I, and, and I received it, but I haven't spoken in tongues yet. He said, don't worry, it'll come. And on my way home, um, I remembered what those, what it sounded like. And so I just started making a few sounds and all of a sudden this language is coming and it's just coming and it's, it's just one word after another, after another, after another. And so I get home and I call Larry and I said, Larry, this is what happened on the way home. He said, that's it. That's tongues. You've got it. And I was so excited going to bed. And, uh, and the next morning, I got up and first thought I had as I wonder if I can still do it. And I started speaking in tongues again. And I had this voice. It was so clear. It was just a thought. It was so clear. This is not God. This is just you. And I, I, I literally was paralyzed and I just stopped and I'm like, that's true. This is just me. It's my vocal cords. I'm the one that started it. And then I'm like, hold it. This is in the Bible. There's a lot in the Bible about this. And, and I said to the Lord, I said, it, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, that says, he that speaks in a tongue is going to edify himself. I said, Lord, I'm going to do this for one week. And this is what your word says. It says, I will be edified. If this is the real thing, I will be edified. I will be charged up in my inner man. And I said, I'm going to do it for one week. And if, if I am no different, I will never do this again. This is weird. Mm -hmm. But I want everything you have. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. For one week, I prayed in tongues. I would pray in tongues on my noon hour. I'd pray in tongues when I was in the car. I would oftentimes, I, I worked for my dad. I, would, I was laying a copy. He ran a newspaper. And I was, I was the ad person that summer. And um, I would pray in tongues under my breath. And. Anyway, long story short, by the end of that week, I was a burning bush for God. Mm -hmm. And it was a very significant experience for me because it, it changed the focus of my Christianity from me to the Holy Spirit flowing in me. I think I went from being like committed to Christ to surrender to Christ. And, mm -hmm. and it just... What came off of me was that bitterness, that kind of that angry, I'm doing all this stuff. And, and it just became easy to be a Christian. It became joyful. And so, 
So, <laughs> so let me tell you what happened next. And uh, I go, I go up to the campus, and of course, I I don't know that there's such a thing as a charismatic church. I don't know that there's anybody on this campus that speaks in tongues other than me. <laughs> and uh, and I am really concerned about my roommate because he was from the Baptist Student Union, and we went to the Baptist Student Union together, and we're roommate roommates. And I'm trying to think of how I am going to tell him that we are, that I have had this experience. Mm-hmm. And so I say to him, I say, Warren, we go down to lunch. I said, Warren, I've got, I had something I need to talk to you about. He said, great. He said, but first, let me tell you what happened to me this summer. And he describes how he got baptized in the Holy Spirit that summer. And I'm like, you are, you are kidding me. You are just, so I was so excited about this, bro. I just, I'm like, why is this a secret from the church? And so I didn't. I had no idea. So I'm telling everybody about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just. I'm making leaders all over the campus angry. And I'm <laughs> praying for people, and they're getting tongues. And then they go back to their leaders, and they're like, "It's not of God." And and so my Baptist student union leader said, "He's just like you cannot use this. You just you have to keep it under wraps." And I couldn't contain myself and we'd be mm-hmm. doing worship and I'd be praying in tongues. And, and so one thing led to another. And finally he met with me to cast the devil out of me. And uh, he was like, you speak in your tongue and I'm going to take authority over it. And uh, <laughs> he was just so sure because he just felt like I was so proud because we, we always had a testimony time at the beginning. And I always had testimonies of all kinds of people that I was witnessing to. And he just felt like it was the spirit of pride. And so he tries to cast it out of me and he can't. Anyway, he basically says, you need to, you need to leave the group. And, uh, and I, and, and then I had the same thing happen at our church in Milton. I was going to a Baptist church and, and they, they were, the pastor met with me and he said, listen, I, t- I took him to the scriptures and I'm like, here's it's Mark 16, 17. It says that, that, that they will speak in new tongues. And he's like, new tongues there means they're not going to swear anymore. That's what that means. Huh, and he said, if anybody was going to have the experience that you are describing, it would be me. I am the pastor of this church. He said, you're going to have to either renounce this experience or you're going to have to leave our church. I'm like, okay, I'm out. So I got got the left, I got the left with a fellowship from a campus ministry and from a church. You need to understand, I was not a subtle person. I I was just, you know, frankly, dude, I was a lot like you. I was just kind of in your face, just like, this is real. Why, why are we talking about it? And so anyway, so that is when I discovered um, Madison Gospel Tabernacle. And this was a whole church of people that believed in this stuff. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. And so, um, and they were in the midst of a revival at that time. I didn't, we didn't know it. I didn't, I didn't know there was such a thing as revival. I just, there was like 120 college age kids that were coming out every Thursday night. And it was just glorious. And God was moving in mighty ways. And we rode a bus there and back and, and that is where I met 
my wife, Alice, and uh, I, we, we were married in 1984, and I graduated from the UW in business, and you, it, am I doing okay here, bro? Should yeah, I keep yeah. the story going? Keep going, yeah. Okay, you just tell me if, if I'm over time or No, gonna, this is, where you keep going. All right. I was going to tell you about my call to ministry. And then Mm -hmm. I was going to tell you about how city church happened. Those are the the two, the the two more things I'm going to say. And so however long that takes, and if you need to cut me off, you just cut me off. Okay. No, go ahead. Um, so I was an investment broker for three years, three and a half years in Madison. And we had a, we had our first child and Alice was pregnant with the second one. And, uh, And I, I had an experience where we were, we were cold calling. I was on straight commission and we were calling on investments through the phone book and we were just running the percentages. You know, you make a hundred calls, you're going to send 20 packets out. And of those 20, maybe two will, will buy and you just got to do the work. And so mm-hmm. um, I had this, this time where I had made a hundred calls and, Every single one was no. Mm. And I'm like, I went to my boss who was a Christian and I said, I, I don't know. There's something supernatural about there being no response. And I said, I'm going to take a couple of days to fast and pray. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to fast and pray mm-hmm. and see what God is saying. And so I came in and, and I, it was during this fast that, uh, I was just overwhelmed with the presence of the Holy Spirit and God spoke to me and he, he said, I'm calling you into the ministry. And, uh, it was so, the, the experience was so intense that I said, I, I have to have Bible. This is, this is too experiential. I need to have Bible on this. Mm-hmm. And John 21 comes into my mind that time. I didn't even know what was in John 21. So I read, I read John 21 and I'm like, oh my, this is the calling of Peter where Peter has gone back to fishing, but he catches nothing. It's a supernatural no catch. And Jesus brings it to his attention and says, have you caught nothing? And he says, put, put the, put the nets over on the other side. And there's this huge catch and, and he comes in and Jesus says, um, do you love me? Then I want you to feed my sheep. I'm calling you away from sheep. Mm. Feed my sheep, shepherd my flock, tend my lambs. And as I'm reading those, that it's just going through me. The Holy Spirit's just going through me. This is, this is the calling of God on your life. And uh, um, so I went home and told Alice and, Alice at this point, it was really, really rough for us. We were barely making it. Um, I'm working on straight commission. We've got two kids or one kid and another's on the way. And she's like, yeah, right. Her parents were very upset with us. And because Alice had to work to, to have insurance and it was, it was just a very, very tense time. And, uh, and so 
I told the Lord, um, you know, I can't make this happen. So I went, I, I talked to my youth pastor. I, I was, I worked in youth ministry. I was a youth worker and I went to him and I told him the experience I had. And, and he said, well, he said, if this is really God, something will, something will, will come up. And, um, so probably six months later, um, a guy came up from Illinois. He called our youth pastor and said, do you have anybody that can do youth and can do administration? Well, my undergrad was administrative management. And, uh, and so he said, I've got, I've got just the guy. So he came up and interviewed me and, um, and that's kind of how the story of how I got into ministry. And, and I, I said to the Lord, I said, God, um, we had we were working straight commission, and when you're in so when you're an independent contractor, you you don't the social security is fifteen percent. You have to you have to pay fifteen percent, and I we were just making it. I, I, I hadn't put a, a penny into social security. I'm supposed to make quarterly payments, and and I said, Lord, I I just I'm asking you for a big catch. Peter's biggest catch was his last catch. Mm-hmm. So that so that Peter would, would the devil would never have it on Peter that he couldn't make it as a fisherman and that's why he was doing ministry. I said, God, I need that. I need you to give me mm-hmm. a big catch at the end. And so I accepted the call down there to be their youth pastor. And the very last work week of working, um, God brought in a sale that was three times bigger than any other sale, and mm-hmm. literally paid all of our taxes, all of our bills. And we left to go down there. And uh, so that was, that was the calling into ministry. And uh, I went back and got a master's from Olivet Nazarene University. It was, it was a program set up for pastors. And uh, my mom, who very Catholic, um, but she just really she really loved me. She really believed in me. And, uh, and she said, Tommy, if this is what you're going to do, she, she had already put me through college. I mean, we paid half and, and she paid half. And then she had paid for all these insurance tests that I took and brokerage tests that I, and she had paid the way. And now I'm doing something completely different. And so she said, Tommy, if this is what you're going to do, I want you to get an education for it. She was a very big believer in education. And so she said, mm-hmm. if you will do the work for this master's, I will pay for it. And uh, so that's, that's how the master's wow. happened is through my mom. And it was, uh, yeah. So um, we were in Illinois for a couple of years. And then we came back to Madison um, to be the youth pastor and college and career pastor there. We were there for four and a half years and it was Madison gospel tabernacle, the very church that we had first kind of got discipled in um, when we were charismatic. And, um, and then, uh, and then God called me to be a senior pastor. There's a whole story with that. I don't want to tell that story, but we went to Foston, Minnesota, and we were up there for three and a half years. And, uh, um, and then we went to Montevideo, Minnesota, and we were there for 11 years. 
and presently I'm pastoring City Church, and so the last. So you, real quick, you you were like pastoring different churches up in Minnesota for all those years. Two churches, Bethel okay. Assembly in uh, in in uh, Foston, mm-hmm. and we now we had four kids. We had four kids before we were thirty. Um, okay. And so I was just 30 years old when we started pastoring up in Boston and, um, and it was during the Toronto blessing, um, when we were up there. And, and so there was, there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened at that time. And I I can tell those stories at some other time, but I want to tell you the story of city church, um, during the Toronto, what, what, during during that time of the Toronto blessing, I had brought Shane Holden up to be my youth pastor up to Foston. And um, Shane, even though he had been discipled in my um, college and career group, he, uh, he struggled with the moving of the Holy Spirit. He struggled with people falling over. He struggled with any, any, any manifestation of the Holy Spirit and, and, but I brought him up there to be my youth pastor. He was a word guy. I was a Holy Spirit guy. And I'm like, God, you, you're bringing him to balance me and good, the word and the spirit together. And well, he, he got really, really hungry for more. And, and so he would go wherever there was a move of God, he, he would go there to watch it. And um, long story short, he went to Toronto, came back. He was freaked out by it. Then we went together. And when we came back, God started breaking out in this church. And he was our youth pastor. And God broke out in the youth. The youth, the youth group became just this burning fire for God. And people in the church didn't know what was going on. And so there was a lot of tension. And there was a, a secret group of 30 trying to get me out of the church. They were, they were meeting separate. It was just a mess. I'm this, I'm this young guy. I, I'm... I just think it's amazing that God's moving and I don't, I don't understand church politics and just a very tense time. And, and uh, so Shane is from the drug culture in Madison and got saved out of really hard, hard drugs and really broken, the broken side of Madison. And he started praying for Madison. He started praying that God would raise up. He said, God, there is no church in Madison that my old friends would go to. There's no way for them to be saved. Every church in Madison is too churchy. And so Mm -hmm. he was praying that God would raise up a work in Madison that would reach people that are rough. And, uh, and he started having a series of dreams that God was calling him to do it. And, uh, and so he, him and I would pray over it. And he went down to this prophetic conference and this guy calls him out. There's like a thousand people there. And this prophet calls him out. And here's what he says to him. And, and you have to understand, Shane, Shane was a realist. And so he's, he's, he kept having these prophetic experiences. And he's like, he, kept, he kept saying to me, am I going mad? Am I... Either this is God or I'm going mad. I'm just off. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this guy called this prophet calls him out and he says, you have, you have said, I am mad, my son. 
But I tell you that you're going to Madison and you're going to badger the enemy. You're going to badger the enemy. And he, and he saw this picture of the Statue of Liberty and he said, it's going to say, bring your, bring your addicts, bring your prostitutes, bring every, you're going to establish a work. And, and so Shane came to Madison. He said, I will go to Madison. You've got to call me. If you will call me every week, I will go and start this church. So he started Mad City Church. And what year? Uh, what year did you? What did he come here? Ninety six. So it's ninety six, and Mad City Church just just takes off, and it, it it it's a it's a mighty moving of God, and it goes from thirty in the first service to within five years, there's probably twelve hundred there, and wow. they they've moved three times, and they're. Um, and God is just saving people. And it's just a mass, just people that are just coming out of all kinds of stuff. And God is meeting them. And it's called, uh, it's Mad City Church. And the tagline is a message of mercy for Madison. And that's, that's, that was Shane's one string guitar was yeah. mercy. Jesus, just come, come. Jesus will clean you up. His favorite, his favorite sermons were Zacchaeus and the prodigal son. And it was a message of mercy for Madison. And and God's love for us in our weakness, God's God's love for us in our immaturity, and and just the emotions of God toward us, and so, um, and so, and and he preached in blue jeans and a t-shirt, and the lights were off during worship, and there were no offerings, and it was just a different way of doing church, completely different way, and uh, and so about the same time that he went there and planted that church, we left to go to. Um, Montevideo and uh, and so we were in Montevideo for 11 years and so here's the story of City Church this will be my last story so it's September of 2005 I'm in my office and uh, Shane is just struggling at Mad City he's he, he's just, he became too, he became famous and, and it was a party on Sunday, but the church was just a, a mess. It just couldn't sustain. And, and he didn't know how to administrate it. And it just, it just was. And so he's just, every week I call him, he's just broken and just wanting to, to do something else. And, mm. and so he is, uh, he is urging me to, to come to come and be his administrator and da, 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 da. Um, and I tried to come a couple times, but didn't, well, it's 2005. And I have this experience and God says that he's going to put together Mad City and Lake City Church. Madison Gospel Tabernacle had become Lake City by this time. Okay. He said he's going to put Lake City and Mad City together and I'm going to be the, the senior pastor. And, uh, and I will, and I said that that would never work. Both both churches have got such a strong identity and just kind of an ego almost in their name. I said, what what would it be, even be called? And and he said, City Church. And I'm like, okay. I wrote <laughs> it down. I wrote it down in my journal. And then I experienced this intense shame. I'm just like, this is so clearly deception. I am pastoring this small church in Southwest Minnesota 
And I am so filled with myself that I think God's going to put two large churches together and make me the senior pastor. This is pride and arrogance. How dare, how dare I think that. And so I don't even tell Alice that this happened. I will not tell anybody. I'm like, this is so clearly deception. This is the enemy has overplayed his hand and tried to get me into some arrogant. Mm -hmm. So it's four days later. I'm in my living room. It's a Saturday morning. I'm, I'm in my living room. I'm having my quiet time and I'm reading uh, the living Bible. It's the one year Bible out of the living Bible. And the reading that day is Ephesians chapter three. And, and here's how that translation says, it says that God is able to do above and beyond all you can ask or even dare to think. And when I read the word dare, the Holy Spirit just came on me in power. Just, I'm just overwhelmed mm. by the Holy Spirit. And it's all about City Church again. I know this is me. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, God, I, I, need, I need something more than this. So I'm in the middle of this experience. I turn to, to get a drink of coffee. I always have coffee with my quiet time. I turn I turn to get a, a, a drink of coffee. Well, I have grabbed my Mad City mug, but it's turned. And when I look at it, all it says is City Church. And when I see City Church, immediately the Holy Spirit gives me two sentences. And here are the two sentences. It will be called City Church because it's a sign that in the end times, I'm going to use the citywide church. Mm -hmm. So it's a sign to the body of Christ. The name itself is a sign to the body of Christ that in the, in the end times, I'm going to use the citywide church. It's going to be a different paradigm. It's going to be the citywide. You need to think citywide. And the second thing he says to me is it's, it will be a sign to you. When this happens, it'll be a sign to you that there will be an end times revival. Hmm. And so I, I write this all down and I, I, I finally tell Alice, I'm like, honey, I, I, I don't know what this is, but, and so we got a couple of prophetic people in the church and we just said, we don't, we're not asking you to comment on this. We don't, we're not even asking you to pray about it. We're not saying it's even going to happen. This just happened and it needs to be said somewhere. And so this is private. This is what we you know, it's either God or it's not. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. and so long story short, 2007, Shane decides to go to the, to the police force. And so I come back and become the pastor of Mad City Church. And in that first year, uh, Lake City Church um, had gone through a leadership crisis because of some immorality. And, and so they had an interim pastor and and I, I love the interim pastor. So we tried to do some stuff together. And uh, honestly, it was brutal. I'm just like, these are two different cultures. This isn't going to work. And then, and then I'm talking to some prophetic people and they're like, you know what? Maybe City Church isn't an organizational oneness. Maybe it's in the spirit. Maybe City Church is a spiritual reality that you are unified with 
because we were, we were great friends, but the idea of putting it together was a disaster, two different cultures. And just because the people were so different? So different. And yeah. they're, they're older, they're conservative, they're very much duty and mad city is just kind of crazy. And, mm -hmm. um, um, and so I, and I've come back, I'm, I'm now preaching in blue jeans and a t-shirt no offerings. I love the culture. I just love this. I love doing church where it's just about the presence of God. And they're still wearing suits. I mean, it's just two different cultures. I'm like, you know, and church is hard enough when you try to clash cultures, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, so 2009, November of 2009, a prophet comes from Michigan and he gets me and John Rock, who was the interim pastor, together. And he had driven six hours to give this word. He was known by both me and John as being a, a prophet of God. And he said, uh, he said, I don't know if this is late, but I know it's not early. Mm -hmm. He said, these two churches are supposed to come together. It's supposed to be called City Church and Tom's supposed to be the pastor. And uh, so we both take that word to our elder boards, our respective elder boards. And, and uh, the elder boards, both elder boards say, love, love this, love the prophet, respect him. It, it, we need more than this. We just need more. Yeah. And so, so we have something happen in February of 2010 a uh, very powerful thing happened. And I called John and I said, dude, have you, have you decided that this isn't going to happen and you're moving on? He said, no. He said, we, he said, do you want to come and talk to the, my elder board? I said, absolutely. And so I, I went and talked to their elder board and um, we kind of moved towards it a little without bringing the elder boards together. Once the two elder boards would come together and have a meeting, then the rumors would get out and then you, you create disappointment and confusion and, just a number of bad things. And, and so I, we're very leery about, about really bringing the two elder boards together. But um, we go out to our national convention and John and I present this to um, Pastor Heckman, who was the long-term pastor at Lake City Church and Tom Alexander, who was another kind of leader in our fellowship and told the story and, and they gave us their blessing. They, they laid hands on both of us and they said, you know, bring the elder boards together and let's do this. And I, Andy, I said to God at this point, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Lake City was $4 million in debt. Mad City Church had, had a half million in the bank, but didn't have a building. But I hate debt. I, 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 I don't have a goal to have a big church. I, I want to have revival. The, the idea of the energy that it's going to take to put together these two churches and get everybody to get along and then, and then have to deal with this debt. I'm just like, God, I, I don't want to do it. I said, I, I have to have something from heaven. I said, I'm sorry. But I, I, I cannot, I know we have their blessing, but I can't do it if I don't have something from heaven. 
So here's what happens to me on the, on the plane home. The Lord takes me to Luke 15. There's three stories in Luke 15. The first one is about a shepherd's joy in getting his lost sheep back. The second story is about a woman's joy in getting her coin, her lost coin back. And the third one is really not about the prodigal son's joy. It's about the father's joy in getting his son back. But Luke 15 ends, Andy, and the father's joy is not full. Because his sons aren't together. He, he goes out to the older brother just like he goes out to the prodigal and invites him to come in. And Luke 15 ends. And the father's joy is not full because one of the sons is not in the feast. And the Lord says this. Mad City Church is the prodigal son. Lake City Church is the older brother. I am bringing the two together for my own joy. Mm. The reason why I knew it was God, bro, was because that thought had never gone into my mind. The, all I could talk about was the people and the people are already wounded by leadership and how are the people. Go I've never even thought about how God would feel about it. God said, this doesn't have anything to do with the people. I'm bringing these two churches together for my own joy. He said, the mark of the new church is going to be joy. And once you've done this, you're going to have an authority to bring prodigal sons and older brothers together all over the, the body of Christ. Because I love the prodigals and I love the older brother. And you're going to have the authority to bring them together because you've actually done it. And I wrote, I wrote in my journal, I said, God, this vision is so beautiful that I'm in. <laughs> I'm just in. I, I still didn't know how it would happen, but um, we brought the elder board together, the two elder boards together in June. And uh, I, I, I did a series of Sunday nights on revival in July. I just said, if you guys are going to make me your pastor, you've got to know what my passion is. And this is what I'm going to preach on. This is where I'm going to go. And then um, the end of August, we voted. We had third, there were 30 pastors and elders and deacons from the two churches. And we got in it. We were in a circle. It was August 30th, 2010. And you couldn't, you, it wasn't a raise of hands and it wasn't vocal. You had, everybody had to say yes, no, or maybe. And Andy, I knew where the, some of these people had come from. I, I had guys on the elders at Man City that had come from Lake City and they were absolutely opposed. I mean, dug in. I mean, one of them got together with me and he said, Tom, I'm, I'm happy to step down. I could never approve this. And I said, bro, you, you don't understand. I don't want this to happen. I don't need this to happen. If, if God doesn't change your heart, we're not doing this. Uh, we simply aren't doing it. So we get in this circle of 30 and everybody, anyway, 30, yes, all the way around. And uh, 
And that's, that's how City Church began. Our first Sunday was December 5th, 2010. And so it's been over 10 years now. Yeah. Um, the debt was paid off in November of 2019. Wow. Miraculous. Just miraculously how the whole thing got to happen. But um, the call of City Church is for region-wide unity and revival. There's going to be an end times revival. I, I'm all in for it. Only, only God could have brought these two churches together. And so, so that's my testimony. There you go, bro. Well, quick, I just have a quick question. How, like, so, so that's 2010 is when City Church started. How is it? Obviously, it's going well, but like, how has it kind of been since then? And like, how are you feeling now and going forward? It was stunning. It, it from the very beginning, it was marked by joy. Mm-hmm. Um, the two staffs came together perfectly. I mean, every position we didn't have, they had, mm-hmm. and so we had a worship pastor. They didn't. They, they, we they they had a youth pastor. We didn't. We had yeah. It, it just it all it all came together, and uh, it's it's just been a, a a joy to pastor. I mean. Through 2011, I still thought we might lose all three buildings. I mean, it was it was touch and go with the money. I, Lake City Church had never not had an offering since 1931, and we we bring in five hundred thousand dollars, but they were they were six hundred thousand dollars behind on their bills. They, they had a cash flow deficit, so we are literally starting a brand new thing and we're a hundred thousand behind on our bills right at the beginning. Yeah. And I had just said to our people, if we lose these buildings, we lose these buildings. That's, you know, I, I, I've, right. we've done church in a school. We know how to do it. But, um, our, one of our things was, um, no offerings. And one of their things was there has to be a missions conference every year. And mm-hmm. that was that. And so we've, there was never an offering and there hasn't been an offering. There's just giving boxes in the back. And uh, we never talk about money unless it's in the text. We never talk about money. Yeah. And God has just supernaturally supplied. So what do you see the vision being in the, from now to the future for city church? And I guess for Madison, uh, you've been in Madison for, for a while now, just as a city. It's interesting to hear what pastors think. So what's your vision? So I feel like we are at one of the most exciting times in the body of Christ in America ever. I think COVID was God disciplining the church because God loves the church and getting the church back to delighting in God and getting focused on Jesus and just stopping being distracted by so many things and that there is a tremendous opportunity for the church right now. Um, I believe City Church is is has just begun. It's it's real calling. It's real calling. It's not to pay the bills. It's calling is to be a catalyst for unity and revival. And uh, every church has something that it its focuses. Like High Point is a teaching church. That that, mm-hmm. that you guys are just amazing teachers. And I let Nick train our staff at ALCS and. He's just a teacher and, and uh, he teaches in our college all the time. We've got a little college uh, for a region called Christian life college. And um, you guys are a teaching 
church. We are a, a worship church mm-hmm. that is called to release the presence of God and to be a catalyst to call the whole body of Christ into more, more of God. And so we're not, we're not better than anybody else, but we're supposed to be a catalyst for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe more and more the Holy Spirit will be embraced in all of the churches in Madison. Mm-hmm. More and more we'll see more miracles. We will there will be a greater dividing line between the lost and the and the saved. Mm-hmm. There will be holiness in the church, not legalism, real, real holiness. Just when I define holiness, all in for Jesus, just all in burning for Jesus. Yeah. This is this is happening right now. Yeah. And God's inviting, He's inviting people right now. Um so where where do we a few years ago some one of the guys in the fca said he says to me you know what what are you what are your plans for retirement and what you know what do you see yourself retiring and i'm like and i i was stunned i'm like i feel like i just started doing good things i I feel like i finally learned how to do ministry and no i'm not that's not even in on my radar i'm we just started here and this is this is about Jesus. This is about something Jesus wants to do with mm-hmm. great power and great glory right here in Madison. Now, here's here's what I want to say about this. Yeah. If there was a revival in Madison, and it can never be one church, Annie, and be called a revival. Yeah. If it's just one church, the world says, well, that's a clever pastor. Mm-hmm. Or they've got a sharp program, or they've got yeah. cool facilities, yeah. or they've got a smoke machine, or you know, yeah. The only time that you get the world's attention is when it's it's not just one church; it's happening everywhere, mm-hmm. and and Jesus is doing stuff, and and there is a rumbling of God doing stuff. If there's a revival and an awakening in Madison, it will strengthen the body of Christ in all of America. People will say this in America, in in every city in America. If it can happen in Madison. <laughs> It can certainly happen here. Are you kidding me? God's doing something in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. If God is doing it in Madison, he can do it anywhere. And and I really think this may be part of our time. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not concerned about who first and who's greatest. I just, wherever the revival starts, I just want to be in the middle of it. And I want to position our church to be in the middle of it. And, uh, but we're going to need the whole body of Christ for this. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I get, I get goosebumps. I'm going to get hyped up when you talk about the revival. Cause I think, I think Madison, Madison is an interesting place, <laughs> a lot of interesting churches and it's a lot of different people. And I think that, that God is already doing a bunch of crazy stuff here. So there's, keep... there's a spirit of intimidation over Madison mm-hmm. and you're just not going to win Madison intellectually. You're, we have to come in the opposite spirit Mm-hmm. Madison, the, the, that has the, the 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 founding of um, the 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 atheists is in Madison. The founding of the you know the whatever it's five hundred one c three about atheism. Um, yeah. um, God's going to have to show up in power in Madison, right? And we're going to have to. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to come, just like it did in Acts. And uh, he's up to it. This is this is a great hour for the church. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I get so. Did you 
I mean, I, you kind of just finished off there. Do you have any last things you wanted to say or anything like that? Or? The last thing I want to do when you're done is I just want to pray for everybody. Let's do that right now. Lord, I thank you for anybody that's taken the time to listen to this. Um, Lord, I'm asking for a fire to be raised up in hearts. Lord, I think of in Acts chapter 2, it says that they saw tongues of fire and it divided on every single one. It doesn't say the fire came on Peter. It says it divided 120 ways. There was fire for every heart. And God, we're going to need the whole body of Christ in this hour. And so, Father, I pray that you would release fire over your people, God. Let there be a burning for Jesus. Burn away religion. God, burn away license and lawlessness. And would you call your people to be all in for Jesus? And, uh, and Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can make that happen. I pray for all those who are committed to Christ, that they would go beyond that to becoming surrendered. Lord, that, that all of us in our commitment would acknowledge, I can't do the Christian life. Only Jesus in me can live the Christian life. And so, God, I surrender to your power. No, Lord, no longer me, but us. Lord, raise up this intimacy with your people where we get to travel with you and we just get a front row seat to what you are doing. Father, I pray a special blessing on Andy and on this podcast. Father, thank you for his faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for doing this. Um, if you're listening, you know, we're, we're obviously at the end. Make sure to give us five stars and send the stuff to your friends and family. It's, you know, I'll hear about Tom's story. Um, but Tom, you'll probably be back on his podcast soon, soon enough. So um, thanks for doing this. And we'll see you guys all in the next one. Goodbye.